0: what's going on everyone welcome to the program it is not your average boston sports podcast i am your host garrett hayden you can listen to the podcast on apple podcasts and on spotify and you can follow our facebook and twitter pages and you can uh, follow me on twitter if you'd like at um, the sports guy 97 so uh good to be back everyone uh, hopefully You folks enjoyed the uh, guest Friday this past or last week with John Veneziano. had a nice time talking with him about the uh, U.S. men's uh, men's soccer uh, qualifying window that is still going on. We will touch on that at a later point today. Um, But again, thanks to John for coming on. It was a nice conversation. Uh, Something a little bit different, which uh, I'm hoping that I can... Uh, branch out into um, in the next few weeks. You know, I think it is obviously fun to hear from guests and talk about, you know, things that, uh, you know, most people would be interested in. But I also think, you know, it might be interesting to branch out to some other people, you know, talking about um, sports that people may not be, you know, necessarily into or just kind of anything, you know, so I'm looking forward to how that will go. I do, uh, or I will, I would, li- I would like to announce that uh, this week on Guest Friday, I will be joined by my good friend, Evan Greasing. We will be talking about uh, David Ortiz uh, getting into the Hall of Fame. We'll probably be talking about our, you know, favorite memories of, uh, of Big Poppy and probably will involve uh, a lot of uh, great trips down memory lane. So I'm really looking forward to that this week. Um, that will be out on Friday. May also touch on some other uh, Red Sox topics as the, uh, you know, lockout is, is still going. Uh, but maybe we will branch into other um, Red Sox topics that, you know, who are some players they should look at, you know, in free agency once the lockout ends, you know, if it does. Um, but I think that probably, I think we could just uh, get, into, get into the show today. Uh, I think we'll start with the Bruins. There is definitely a lot of stuff going on in uh, a bunch of different uh, categories, if I, I guess you could say, but we're going to start with the Bruins. Um, so obviously, as we all know, the Bruins um, have been very good in the month of January and have been, you know, have, have looked like a different team Um in this this month than they have or than they had in the previous you know 26 27 games whatever it was uh, to start to start the season and it seemed like this team had turned a corner that they were finally playing the way that you know we all expected them to play at the outset of the season that you would be getting goals from all over the lineup you would be getting good goaltending you know you would kind of try to get into the, get into a groove. And I think that ultimately that is what happened this month. Um, And I know a lot of people are going to point to, okay, they've, you know, lost some games at the end of the month. I think that that's legit. And we'll talk about that in a second, but I just think as a, as a whole, as a month, it was exactly what the Bruins needed, you know? And I think being able to have that reset of the postponed games, the NHL's break, you know, kind of putting all that together, I think it ended up being a important moment for, for this team this season that I think they could get some time to reset and come out, you know, swinging. They won 11 games this month. And I think, you know, based on where, this, where the Bruins were in the standings, you know, about a month or so ago in this break, you know, it was a little concerning. But I think now the Bruins have played at a good level and they've given themselves a good cushion of about eight or nine points clear of Detroit, who is the next closest team in the playoff structure. Bruins currently have a nine point advantage over Detroit, and they do have three games in hand on Detroit. So I think things look pretty comfortable in terms of that, but obviously, you know, that's no reason to rest on your laurel, laurels. So it's been a good month. You know, I think it is a little bit concerning that, you know, some of the issues that plagued them at the beginning of the season are starting to creep up a little bit um, in the last few games Bruins have lost three or four and I think you know it's the nature of the season you know it's ebbs and flows you know you can have good runs and bad runs you know I just think the Bruins with the way that they've been playing the last few games they need to find their game again they need to find their game and find the skating game and find that game where they are not turning the puck over a lot in the defensive zone in the neutral zone and they're getting, you know, quick ups, getting good. They're getting good transition play, you know, starting from the defense and taking it to the offense. You know, I think really kind of embracing that quick skating game. And I think that is usually the way the Bruins are able to, you know, be able to score a lot of goals and score a lot of goals on the rush. And I think the Bruins need to get back to doing that, you know, and trying to move the puck quickly and efficiently, and you know, bearing their chances. You know, I think that that's been kind of a, a bugaboo for most of the season. That the Bruins are, you know, one of the better teams in terms of um, expected goals for, which is a like an analytics term. Um, I personally do not under, do not know like what goes into that, but you know, the Bruins are a couple goals above the league average in expected goals for, but then their actual goals for the Bruins are below the league average. So that tells you that the Bruins are getting a lot of good chances and getting a lot of high danger chances, but they're not capitalizing. Um, And so I think, you know, it's turning the defense to offense and burying your scoring chances. And I think the Bruins have been a little too careless with the puck in the last few games. You know, I think you can look at that Colorado game uh, last week. The Bruins, you know, could not get the puck out of the zone to save their lives, and you know Colorado's able to come back. You know, you didn't play great in Arizona. You were able to get a win, and then obviously you didn't play well last night. The Bruins got smacked by the Dallas Stars, um, and I just think the game need they need to simplify their game. And I know that that is way easier said than done. That's easy for 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 us to say. You know, watching the game and saying, "Oh, they need to do these things." it's much easier said than done, but I do think they just need to find their game. They need to find what it was that, you know, led them to be so successful in the month of January. Um, The good news is, you know, the Bruins will be welcoming the Seattle Kraken to the Garden tomorrow night. You know, they're not a very good team. They're a team that has struggled for most of the season. Philip Grubauer, their starting goalie, has had a pretty ugly season, so I think for the Bruins to welcome in a team like that might be exactly what they need. Um, So I think it's important for the Bruins to build good habits in that game. They do have the all-star break after that game, so the Bruins will be off for a week. But I think getting back to what made them so successful in January is going to be exactly what they want to do tomorrow night. Um, Obviously, the depth in certain areas of this team is being tested. um, And I think that's part of the problem that you've seen, I think, in the last couple of games. And guys have been out, you know, guys haven't been playing well. Um, I think that, you know, it's just part of the season. I think it's, you know, it kind of is just as simple as that. I know that a lot of people, I think, want to make the issues of this team a little more complicated, but I personally don't think it's as, as complicated. I think it's pretty simple. It's you know, taking care of the puck, and I think the Bruins haven't been doing a good job of that recently. And that's not just, you know, the players that are, you know, it's it's everyone. You know, it's not, a, I don't think there are players that are, you know, immune to criticism in terms of, you know, turning the puck over. I think the Bruins had a big issue with that last night, you know, led to a number of goals, obviously led to a number of goals in um, Colorado in that loss last week. But you know, I think sometimes it's just just road trips too. You know, the Bruins really didn't really seem like they played well in the latter half of that trip. You know, really the best that they played was that second period in Colorado. You know, Bruins thankfully are, were able to get a point in that game, although it wasn't really it wasn't really a positive, you know, blowing a two-goal lead with less than 10 minutes to go. You know, granted it is the Colorado Avalanche, I think that they're the best most talented team in the league, even without Nathan McKinnon, you know, which is saying something, but anytime you have a two-goal lead, you want to hang on to it, especially in the third period, Um, but it just really was like, that seemed like the only good period the Bruins played the entire trip, I mean, I know they got the win in Arizona, but it just didn't feel like, didn't feel like they were ever in a groove in that game, you know, and I think, obviously, we're not ready to play last night either, so I think, you know, you could just chalk it up to it just being a bad road trip, and, you know, things happen, and you got to move past it because it's a long season. You know, I think that there are games like this that will happen, and you just got to bury the tape. You know, he said the same thing um, with their loss to Carolina a couple of weeks ago, and they come back and play a really good, really hard fought game um, at the Garden against against the Capitals. Then they beat the Jets. So it's like, I think. There's something to be said for this team's ability to you know, bounce back when things get tough, and things are getting tough right now. Um, Eric Hall obviously missed last night's game uh, due to a positive COVID test, I'm assuming. Um, the good news, at least, is that if he is able to return quickly, he probably will just miss tomorrow night's game and could be back for uh, next Tuesday's game when the Bruins play the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, so I think you know, it's you just got to find your game again. You know, and I think that that's really the biggest thing. I think the Bruins again are in a good spot in the standings, where it's not like okay, you have a team that is two points behind you, and they're and the team is you know breathing down your neck. Much as you know, that's kind of what it looks like in the Western Conference. Um, if you've paid attention to the wild card standings, that's not the case in the Eastern Conference. You know, the Bruins are well ahead of columbus detroit and the islanders you know multiple you know more than 10 points ahead of columbus and the islanders and the bruins obviously have games in hand on detroit so you know i know a lot of people want to get concerned about big losses like this and you should but i think the bruins are not in a terrible spot um you know i mentioned the depth issues you know Part of the Bruins' problem, I think, is, you know, really a lack of center depth. And, you know, clearly if Halla is out, you know, you have a hard time, you know, putting someone in on that second line. I mean, I think until Halla had played, you know, really well in the month of January, the Bruins were kind of searching for, you know, that second line person. I still think that they are, you know, which is why I think they need to swing big at the trade deadline. You know, uh, Nick Pernik and I talked about that um, a couple episodes ago, um, I guess Friday, that, you know, really what the Bruins need is another kind of big time center. You know, JT Miller is a player that I think should be at the top of every Bruins fan every Bruins fans, you know, list at the uh at the trade deadline which will come up in March. Um but I just think you have to get back to your game. And it doesn't matter who's in the lineup. You know, a lot of times people will point to, Oh, you didn't have this person in the lineup, this person but That doesn't matter. You have to go out and you have to play the way that you're expected to play. Play to the standard of the team. And I think the Bruins have been missing that the last couple of games. You know, three losses and four. But they have a great opportunity um, to get a win before the All-Star break and, you know, go into the break feeling good about something. So in terms of the goaltender depth, I know that that's been a big focus of conversation the last few days. I will just say at the outset... I think there are people that want to make this goalie situation more dramatic than it needs to be. And I think that that's unfortunate because I think you have three quality NHL goalies at the moment. And there's no reason to feel negative about that. But I think that there are some people that are very eager to push Tuka Rask out the door and, you know, crown Jeremy Swayman as you know, the future of the franchise, the goalie of the future, and all those things. Look, I want him to be that as well. I want him to be, you know, this really good goaltender. I want him to be good for the Bruins. But you cannot say that, you know, with full confidence that, okay, he's the guy, you know, we found our guy. He's played less than 50 games in the NHL. It's really not a time that you can say, okay, we know what this kid is you know, why the hell is Tuca even on this roster? It's just like... And Allmark, too. You know, I think people are quick to to push out Allmark, and they're quick to, you know, look at that contract and be like, oh, you know, it's a bad contract. Why did they sign him? But he's actually been pretty good this season. I don't know if people have noticed. You know, I just think there's a certain sect of Bruins fans that, you know, are just sick of Tukarask and they want to find that next goalie immediately. And I think hitching their wagons to a young goaltender is the easiest thing to do. And look, Jeremy has played great in the time that he has been in the NHL. He has been really good and really solid. He's not perfect, you know, and I think some people would like to think that he is and, you know, will, you know, we see this every year. Tuukka Rask plays a certain way in goalie in goal. Another goalie, you know, plays a similar game. It's like we all know what it is. You know, the classic. You know, blame to for for every every loss. But then if the other, but then if the other goaltenders lose, you know, it's on the defense. And you know, we can go back and forth in that all day. I really don't want to do it, but you know, the the truth is, you have three very good NHL goalies right now. I think Tuukka Rask still needs to continue to play games and get ice time to kind of get back to what the Bruins want him to be, but Allmark's been very good this season, and I know people are still angry that Swayman got sent down, but it's like, look, you know, he'll get time in Boston if he needs to, you know, which is what happened last night. Obviously, it wasn't in the most ideal circumstance, but the Bruins are in a good spot with their goaltending, and it just is like, It doesn't need to be this big thing. It can just be, you know, yeah, Tuka's hurt at the moment. The Bruins have to, you know, make do with what they have. But it's like, to the people that are nervous about Swayman and his, you know, future, Tuka Rask is only going to be here for the rest of the season. I don't believe he's going to be back in Boston next season. So it's like, Swayman's going to get his, is going to get his, you know, that's not a concern. And You know, people that are like, oh, well, why did you pay Olmark? Well, in case you haven't noticed when the Bruins, you know, had a really good 1-2 tandem with, you know, Rask and Halak, you know, many people will call it a 1A, 1B. I think that that's kind of what the Bruins are looking for, you know, as Swayman develops, because yet again, you don't really know what he is yet. Yes, he has played very well at certain points, but he's also had some bad losses. He's also had some games where he hasn't looked good. And so it's like having a guy like Olmark here is is a positive because it gives you the opportunity if Swayman goes through a period where he struggles, you can have a good quality NHL goaltender here too. You know, it doesn't need to be, you know, one guy versus the other, or as Ian McLaren put it, you know, Rask versus Swayman versus Olmark. You have to, you know, stick your flag in one of the three camps, and if you you know, like one guy, you can't like the other two. And it's just, again, it's, it's unnecessary and it's dramatic. And I really, I would say it's unbelievable, but it's not really because this fan base has the um, ability to uh, complain about a lot of things that really are not as bad as they seem. So, you know, that's really all I'm going to say about the goaltending situation. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but yeah, well, Mark did not have a good game last night, but I think, for the most part, your goaltending has been very good this season. And I know that, you know, goals against is not necessarily the perfect stat, but the Bruins are fifth in the NHL in or fifth-fewest goals allowed in the league. So at least they seem to be doing something right there. So I'd be curious to see how the Bruins come out against Seattle. I thought it was interesting last night. Uh, Kirk Smith gets dropped down to the third line, did put in a goal, um, he's a guy that the Bruins really need, really need to get going. He's a guy that needs to start shooting the puck. And I think it's unfortunate because it's like you got him two years ago because he's a guy that could shoot the puck a lot and shoot it very effectively. And we've not seen it from him really for much this season. Um, I think putting Oscar Steen on the first line was, was an interesting thought, Um, but I think it's, uh, I think I just go back to the center depth, and I think that, you know, it might be smarter for the Bruins to take a look at that sooner rather than later, um, because I think with you know of missing time, you have to, you know, put in you know Nosek or Coil on the second line, and you know while they can do that for a game or two, it's not something that needs that should become a regular thing. So, but I think we go back to finding their game, and I think that that's the most important thing to watch for tomorrow night you know before the Bruins go off on a week break i think that they want to try to find those good habits again so they can build off of something when they come back from the break because i got news for you that schedule coming out of the break is not going to be easy you got some road games in canada you have home games again you have home games against pittsburgh, carolina and colorado so um, it's uh you really got to find your game and you got to find it quick um One last note on the Bruins. I know that this is a little bit uh, late, I guess you could say, because this happened uh, last Wednesday night, but I did think it made sense to address um, the Taylor Hall situation with Nathan McKinnon last week. Obviously, you know, those who were watching the game saw the replays, and, you know, Taylor Hall's stick, you know, makes – or Nathan McKinnon's stick, excuse me, makes contact with his face, and, you know, obviously there's – blood all over the ice and I think you know anytime there's a bang bang play like that the natural thing I think for the NHL to do or the, the officiating to do is to call a major you know that way you know if you miss a call you can you know downgrade it to to a minor you know what have you but I just thought that the you know response to that was was kind of strange I think especially after the game when you had you know avalanche players you know saying things about, you know, protecting your teammate and this and that, which I totally understand. But at the same time, any sane person that watches that replay and sees that his own stick makes contact with his face, you know, I don't... I, you know, in, in terms of answering for that, I'm not sure what Taylor Hall has to do. Like, I really don't know what else he is supposed to do when there's an accidental kind of freak accident type play. There's nothing he could have done and the Avalanche are spend the entire period, you know, going after him and being like, oh, you have to stand up for it. Well, it's like, he didn't do anything wrong. So I don't know. I just, that was a very strange uh, situation. Uh, but I don't think that that is resolved. And I think, you know, with the Avalanche coming into Boston in a couple of weeks, uh, that needs to be something that I think the Bruins need to be careful of, because I think Colorado might, might take a shot at one of the players, so, um, I don't know, that just was kind of a strange situation that I thought needed to be, you know, talked about, maybe it doesn't, maybe it really doesn't matter, but, um, anyway, I think that does it for the Bruins, we'll, uh, jump back to the NHL in a moment after we get to the Celtics, we'll talk about the Celtics, um, so it's kind of, uh, It's, uh, it's, it's, it's weird because it just kind of feels like we're, you know, repeating the same, the same refrains after, you know, every, every episode where we talk about the Celtics and we talked about, you know, oh, you know, this needed to be better, this and that. So, you know, the Celtics did go two and one last week and, you know, it is, it is difficult for me to admit, but the, uh, Celtics have won eight out of 12. Um, I know that it's easy for a lot of us to look and be like, okay, their record still isn't very good. You know, they're still middling around 500. And, you know, I know it's easy to, you know, continue to have the same refrain of, okay, they need to play harder, need to play more consistent in this and that. But maybe the Celtics have found something. You know, I think that offensively, the Celtics have been able to get off to, you know, good starts and win games that they're able to kind of play with the same offensive intensity pretty much the whole time and I think the Celtics have shown that I think they are a very solid very good defensive team I think especially with Marcus Smart Um, and I think that Marcus has done an excellent job at you know trying to will himself into the role of a point guard you know he's not a traditional point guard by any means but I think I respect his you know tenacity his work ethic to be like, I'm gonna work at this and I'm going to get better. And I think that, you know, we've seen some games that he's done an excellent job at, you know, getting his teammates involved, taking fewer shots. He had twelve assists in Saturday night's game in New Orleans. And I know that New Orleans, yeah, typically is not a good team. But I think when you can get Marcus Smart involving other involving his teammates, you can get Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown attacking, you know, and looking for the ball, looking for their shot and Rob Williams, you know, being a beast on the glass, you know, you can be a pretty solid team. And I think that there's a lot of negativity around smart all the time. And I think that, yes, as Marcus had his shortcomings, absolutely. You know, he's not really the best shooter, you know, but I think that he's finding ways to contribute and trying to be like, okay, I know I'm not a traditional point guard, but I want to work at this. And I think that he's made that clear. And I think, you know, in the time that he has come back, I think the Celtics are playing a little bit better offensively. Now they're not going to win every single game. They're not going to, you know, you know, they're every team in the NBA has games where they don't play well offensively. And so I think that's kind of what, you know, we saw in the Atlanta game. They just shot poorly. You know, I think that they did a good job at moving the ball and, getting other guys involved but shots just didn't fall you know and I think that just was kind of how it went in that game where the Celtics shot you know 35 percent for the game and I think you know they come back in New Orleans have a game where I think that could have easily been have been a letdown game you know very similar to the way how the Celtics lost to Portland um, about 10 days ago and I was concerned how they would come back against Washington and they played, you know, probably one of their, if not their best game of the season, and then followed it up with a 128-point game against the Kings. Um, But the Celtics have been, you know, three out of four since Marcus Smart has come back, you know, highlighted by the 12-assist game that he had. But I think in terms of moving this team forward, I still think that there is value at keeping Marcus around. And I think that, you know, judging by how pretty solid that, you know, starting five has been with Marcus, the two Js, Robert Williams and Al Horford, you know, the Celtics have something that they can, you know, build on. And I do think that, you know, and again, I don't want to pin this on Dennis Schroeder, but you can tell when he comes into the game that they slow down. They don't start, they don't move the ball the same way that they have when Marcus has been in the game, at least in the three games that I've watched you know, since Marcus has returned, and it just seems like, you know, it, I I don't want this to sound as simple as, okay, they need to get rid of Schroeder, and they're going to start winning games at a higher clip. They might not, but I think that you then would start to notice that, okay, the Celtics probably will play better offensively when they can move the ball quick, and they, when they can play with pace, you know, and it's just maddening when, You know, and it's not all the time that Dennis Schroeder comes in and they start slowing down. You know, the offense can get stagnant if Marcus is out there. This isn't to say that, oh, Marcus is so much better, you know, than Schroeder. That's not what I'm saying. But I just think more often than not, you know, when Schroeder comes into the game and the Celtics have a lead, they tend to walk the ball and play the clock. And it's just as like the Celtics, for their offense to work, they need to play with pace And they need to share the ball and they need to pass the ball around. And that's what you saw, you know, in that win against New Orleans, 12 assists for Smart. Jason Tatum had seven assists in that game. So I think if the Celtics can, you know, surround those guys with some better shooting and, you know, not have guys that are going to walk the ball up the court and play, you know, slow and play, you know, the half court, you might see this team play a lot better offensively. Now, are they going to, you know, catapult to be a top four team in the East? You know, probably not, but I think it will be interesting to see, you know, and this is assuming that Schroeder gets dealt, you know, what Peyton Pritchard can bring to that offense if they play with more pace, will they be more effective on offense? Um, you know, it just seems like it is trending towards, you know, Schroeder being dealt. You know, we'll talk about that, you know, at, at or around the trade deadline next week. Uh, which is next Thursday, I believe, the 10th. But I think, you know, Shooter has had a pretty good season for the Celtics. This isn't to say that, oh, he's the reason why they're, you know, not that good. You know, I think that a lot of the reason is the Celtics don't have a lot of shooting to surround uh, Jalen and Jason. The Celtics are not really deep in terms of their bigs. You know, if you think about Horford, Williams, and Grant Williams even, you know, as he is able to guard, a lot better. You know, the bigger guys, they really don't have that third kind of defensive center that I think the Celtics kind of need. They don't need Enes Kanter. He's a guy who just, you know, is what he is. He's, you know, a solid offensive player, although he's not been that good this season. You know, you really really watch him and it looks like he's lost playing basketball, you know, on, on either side. And I just think, it was a nice idea to bring him back, but I just felt like there really wasn't much much need for him. Um, and it just clearly is like, based on his, his play, it's like, okay, the guy clearly is kind of running on fumes. And who knows, maybe he would do better on a different team. You know, I think, could he be dealt? Absolutely. But I think Schroeder kind of the main guy that you would see get traded. Um, but I think, just going back to Schroeder, I mean, I think, The Celtics were probably almost always going to trade him at the deadline, you know, unless they played really good basketball and played, you know, as a top three, top four team in the East. Then I think you would think about keep, then I think you would think about keeping him. But I think considering the spot the Celtics are in, you know, it doesn't really make sense to keep him around if you're just going to lose him in the off season. Um, But granted, I think the Celtics probably won't be getting much back for him because I do believe the Celtics are trying to get under their luxury tax. And so I think if they're going to trade Schroeder, most likely it's going to be for a pick. I don't think it's going to be, you know, a big time player that's going to help you right now. Because I think, you know, I think it's much smarter for the Celtics to play to the off season and see what they can do in the summer, trying to get some more shooting, trying to get some more, you know, solid interior defense. Although the Celtics have been, I think, one of the better defensive teams in the league recently. So I think, you know, that might not be as much of a of a need. But I think it will be curious to see if Schroeder does get traded, do they play any differently after that happens? Um, the Celtics will be, you know, hosting the Heat and hosting the uh, Hornets Monday and Wednesday at the Garden, and then the Celtics will be traveling to Detroit and Orlando on Friday and on Sunday, so some big games coming up against some good teams. I think that you know Miami is going to be a measuring stick, t- measuring stick type of game to see where they truly are uh, right now. The Heat are a great team, and they're a team that is kind of they play the way that the Celtics should be playing. You know, with pace, they cut really well. They're a very efficient offensive team, and I think if the Celtics can find a way to to get their offense to be more efficient. I think that this team could be very good, but I think you want to be able to play with the same offensive intensity every single game. You know, and it doesn't mean that okay, you need to be scoring 120 points every game, but you need to continue to move the ball, and move the ball where, you know, you can find open shots and I think you've seen the offense be a little bit a little bit better over the last couple of games. So I'm curious to see how they do tonight. Um, against a Heat team that's been very, very good. We'll take a look at the standings in a little bit. Um, but I think also, you know, you look at, you know, Detroit and Orlando, you got some teams coming up that I think you should be able to get wins against. Um, and you got a Charlotte team, you know, which just beat you recently. So you would hope that the Celtics come into these games tonight and Wednesday motivated and trying to continue to play good, efficient offensive basketball and see what you can do um, against a very good Heat team and, you know, a Charlotte team that's pretty good too. Um, So i will be curious to see how the Celtics do um, in both of these games this week. So I think that takes care of the Celtics. We will circle back to the NBA in a little bit. Um, I I know that I did mention that um, on Guest Friday, Evan Griesing will join the show to talk about big poppy getting into the hall of fame. Um, I think it does make sense to talk a little bit about him. Um, but I think I'm just going to kind of do some surface level things and, you know, Evan and I will get really in depth, um, as to, you know, what it means to see, um, David be, um, elected into the hall of fame. So obviously the hall of fame voting results came out last week, uh, David Ortiz receiving 77.9% uh, Clearing the seventy-five percent threshold, just barely becoming the fifty-eighth uh, player elected in his first year of eligibility. So I think, you know, the big story going into this was will Ortiz get in on the first ballot, and he did, you know, by a pretty close margin. But um, I just will say it was it was really awesome to see that. You know, he's a guy that I think gave his his heart and soul to the city of Boston and. You know, I think that a lot of times you see athletes that just kind of come and go into cities that, you know, athletes maybe don't become attached to a city. But you saw, you know, David be so attached to this city that he, you know, (laughs) you know, it's just uh, it's, it's hard for me to think about that, you know, speech that he gave the, you know, after the Red Sox returned after the marathon bombings. And it just was like it's hard for me to think about and not get emotional because it just, he meant so much to the city and the city meant so much to him. Um, and I just think him getting the recognition, you know, was awesome. And, you know, yeah, you can go back and forth about whether whether he was a first ballot or whatever. And, you know, I honestly think the argument doesn't matter because I think he would have gotten in anyway. Um, but I think, you know, just remembering what he did for the Red Sox and, you know, really was the catalyst behind that 0-4 team you know willed that team to the World Series you know it was pretty remarkable you know those clutch hits against the uh, Yankees and in, in those games you know coming back from the the 3 nothing deficit and then the way that he played in the 2013 playoffs especially the World Series I mean that's one of the greatest World Series performances of all time um, you just legitimately couldn't pitch to him in that World Series he was unbelievable and then you know, obviously the home run against the Tigers. You know the one of the one of the famous home runs that you remember. I mean, you remember the guy hitting walk off home runs and just you know being so unbelievably clutch. You know and delivering time and time again. Um, so I think obviously that was a big story for the Red Sox. You know, I think that nationally, a big story was you know Clemens and Barry Bonds missing. Um, missing the cut again, as they are now off the uh, ballot. And I think also Sammy Sosa and Kurt Schilling were in their 10th and final year um, of eligibility. And so I guess, you know, the the stance on the, the PEDs was clear, although I think people will have their suspicions about David's, um, you know, positive test or whatever. But I think that, you know, the commissioner has set, you know, some doubt on that as to, you know, hard to distinguish whether certain subs- substances were legal or, you know, not banned at the time. You know, I think that, I don't know, you know, you can have your own thoughts about that, but I think obviously the conversation a lot of people were having was the steroid conversation and, you know, do those players deserve to get some recognition um, and I think some people will tell you no, some, te- some people will tell you absolutely not, and, you know, wouldn't vote for anyone who, you know, tested positive or was under the suspicion of a testing positive, or what have you. Um, but I think, I mean, if we really want to get, you know, personal as to my opinion, I think that, you know, there's no reason that, you know, some of those guys shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, you know, I think... For sure, there's a reason why Kurt Schilling isn't in there because I think that, you know, character plays a, plays a part in this. Um, But I just think in terms of the steroid users, they deserve recognition for what they did for the game. And I know that a lot of people will say, oh, you know, they cheated in this and that, which is fair. And I think that there's a way that, you know, those guys can be recognized, but you know, have an asterisk or something like that. So, you know, you know the wrong things that they did, but you also recognize the accomplishments that they did. Now a lot of people will say, Oh well the accomplishments are, you know, because of the steroids, but it's like I think of it as similar to when, you know, the NCAA strips schools of Final Four appearances, you know, strips schools of bowl wins or heisman trophies like they did to reggie bush and it's like you can't you can't look at me with a straight face and say oh that never happened you know being like we're gonna vacate the victories and they never happened obviously they did you know but it's like i think that there can be there can be both there can be you can be aware that this player you know may have tested positive for steroids and may have cheated the game you know but then also look at the accomplishments and be like, okay, this person did, you know, do a lot for the game because I do think that those guys that you mentioned did do a lot for the game, you know, and I think that obviously there's some people that will argue to the extreme of, oh, you know, steroids made baseball better. I wouldn't exactly go to that, go to that extreme, but I think that you have people that do feel that way. And I think that, you know, there needs to be some recognition, you know, for those players that you know, did all those things. And I think that there's also another argument, you know, that do you really, I mean, I don't know, maybe this is silly, but I think do you really need the, the recognition to be in the Hall of Fame? Like we all remember what these guys did, you know, no one's really going to forget what they did because they're not in the Hall of Fame. You know, maybe that's kind of a, a smaller argument, but the big news is, you know, David's into the Hall of Fame and that's awesome. I'm uh, looking forward to my conversation with Evan later in the week. Um, about poppy's big moments so it just made sense to talk a little bit about david ortiz before we uh, talk about the big patriots news that was uh circling around the last few days and no i'm not talking about tom brady's alleged retirement <laughs> um you know obviously i think that a lot of us were were duped in terms of that whether you know tom's retiring or not you know we'll see, you know, obviously we will keep you updated in, in case that does happen. But, you know, if you saw Twitter, you know, you saw a lot of people saying, you know, thank you to Tom for all he did. I did that too, because I was, uh, I was among the, the people that got duped, I guess you could say. But um, I think with respect to Tom, I think that he deserves, you know, respected to, to take his time. I don't know, you know, how that report got circulated or what happened, but you know, I think uh, it was definitely a, it was definitely a, an emotional time because a lot of us weren't sure. You know, I think that I have I had some inkling that maybe he he had retired or you know maybe he will eventually, um, in the next few weeks or months. But you know, I think it was <laughs> just kind of the uh, news that overshadowed uh, that Saturday for a few hours or pretty much the entire day, and then obviously news came down yesterday that uh, Josh McDaniels has been hired as the new head coach in Las Vegas. He also brought uh, Dave Ziegler with him. He was a Patriots director of pro personnel, if I'm not mistaken. Um, don't quote me on that because I might be wrong. But, you know, I'm curious about what this means for the Patriots um, because Josh, obviously, you know, 13 years on the Patriots staff as, as offensive coordinator, you know, has seen this team through so many successful years and you know years where this offense was was humming to the tune of you know you know elite historic numbers you know if you look at you know how it was in 2007 um, but I think you know obviously the offense that was ran this season you know is different than that there were different you know players that needed to get acclimated you had a rookie quarterback that you know you needed to, to help develop and you know I just will be honest, you know, my first thought with this, or, you know, even when the rumors are being circulated, you know, that Vegas was interviewing him, I was a little concerned because I think, you know, when you have a young, when you have a young quarterback, a rookie quarterback, you know, who I think had a very solid rookie year, you know, had something that you can build off of, have something that you can feel a little confident about. I'm not saying that he was this elite quarterback, you know, that should have won offensive rookie of the year, because I think Jamar Chase was better than him. Um, but it was a solid foundation, and I think that that's the important thing to take out of, you know, Max' progression in his rookie season. Um, it just concerns me that the Patriots will have to find a new offensive coordinator and presumably have to run, you know, a newer offense. Now, I think, obviously, if the Patriots bring in, um, in a, an offensive coordinator that has some experience, with the team, I think that obviously the offense probably will not change all that much. Like, I think you still want to have an offense that emphasizes the running game, you know, and emphasizes getting the ball out quickly and getting your tight ends involved. You know, I think that that's kind of what you would ideally want The offense to look like. Um, I think my concern is if the Patriots go someone. Go with someone that you know is totally new to the organization. How will Mac Jones react to that? How will his? How will it affect his development? You know, going through two different offenses in his first two seasons. Um, So I think. There should be some level of concern, but I think at the same time. If the Patriots were able to bring in, say, Bill O'Brien to be their offensive coordinator, I think that there is a reason that you could feel positive about that. Um, you know, I will also say that obviously McDaniels in recent years has had his fair share of criticism, you know, as an offensive play caller. But I honestly will say I think that there are a lot of Patriots fans out there that, you know, made him out to be worse than he actually was. Um that I think there are a lot of people that got frustrated with certain types of play calling or not getting certain guys involved. I'm not going to say that he doesn't deserve that criticism because I think he does. You know, you brought in a guy like W. Smith this off season and really never found his footing. Um, you know, I think, could you say that maybe he held back Mac Jones? I mean, I don't know. I don't really, I don't personally necessarily believe that. But I think that, you know... I just think at the end of the day he was not as bad as people made him out to be and I think that there are some people that are uh, wrongfully celebrating this as oh my god finally we're free of this guy but I think that no matter who the offensive coordinator that you bring in is there's going to be an adjustment period with this offense and I think people have to be patient and I think specifically those people that were very happy to see Josh McDaniels leave you're going to have to be very patient with this offense because i think they're going to go through, go through some go through some growing pains and it doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator is you know even if it is bill o'brien even if it is one of the patriots you know offensive coaches that gets promoted there's going to be an adjustment period and i think you're going to have to be patient with mac jones going into his second year developing quarterback and you know second years can sometimes be hard for run, for for younger young quarterbacks so I think the Patriots need to do the best job they can at surrounding Mac Jones with the best talent that they can you know that makes sense in their offense but then also you know bringing in an offensive coordinator where hopefully there's not going to be a a long adjustment period you know hopefully if they bring in someone like Bill O'Brien the adjustment period won't be too long but it's it's going to be an adjustment I think people have to be prepared for that adjustment period and have to understand that the offense is not just going to be humming along week one without Josh McDaniels. You know, it's uh, just kind of interesting to me how I think um, I just I hope for those people's sake that, you know, they don't get annoyed by whoever the new offensive coordinator is because it's like, okay, uh, well, I don't know. I don't I don't really want to get into that. But, you know, you had better hope that this offense figures it out you know, rather quickly because those people are not going to be too happy if they have another coordinator that, you know, maybe they don't like their play calling, but whatever, I'm not going to get into that. But uh, McDaniels taking the job in Vegas, kind of interested to see how that team does because it's a, it's an interesting team. They got a good group of, I think, talented offensive players, but I think clearly have some organizational uh, issues that I think, you uh, you know, I'm hoping that Josh can handle it. You know, I wish him well. I don't wish him ill. You know, I hope that he can do okay in Vegas. But, you know, clearly his track record as a head coach is uh, not exactly sparkling. You know, didn't even last two seasons um, in Denver. Only won 11 of his 28 games coaching the Broncos in 2008 and 2009. So I think... That probably is going to do it for a last little Patriots thought. Um, I think that we will return to the Patriots, you know, whenever there is, you know, news that comes down. So I think we will move on to a quick little look around in the NHL. Uh, The Bruins, obviously, as we take a look at the standings, uh, the Bruins nine points clear of the Detroit Red Wings uh, for that second wild card with three games in hand. The rest of the Eastern Conference is... Uh, Pretty interesting. The Metropolitan Division has had a very interesting top three all season. Carolina currently in first place, followed by their Rangers in the Penguins. In the Atlantic, the Florida Panthers continue to play at an unbelievable breakneck pace. So they have 67 points. They lead the Eastern Conference and actually lead the NHL, or actually tied for the NHL lead with the Colorado Avalanche with 67 points. Tampa Bay is in second with sixty four points, and then Toronto is in third in the Atlantic with fifty seven points. And then in the wild card, you have Washington in that first position, first position with fifty seven points. Bruins have fifty three. Um, you know the Bruins obviously passed the halfway point um, of the season with last night's loss, but you know it is interesting. The Bruins are you know currently on pace for fifty wins, which I think would be a pretty good pretty impressive number I think for a team like this that you know you really didn't know what they were 27 games into the season but despite the uh you know losing streak or whatever you want to say this recent uh these recent games I think the Bruins are in pretty good shape Um, looking at the Western Conference Colorado obviously as we mentioned leads the Western Conference Nashville is in second place Minnesota is in third and then in the Pacific, you have Vegas, who is a one point lead over Anaheim for first place in their division. And then Los Angeles is in third. The uh, central division in the uh, Western Conference has been really strong. You have St. Louis, who's actually in that second who's actually in that first wildcard spot. But uh, actually they have more points than the Pacific teams, you know, which is kind of kind of interesting how that has shaked out. Um, so St. Louis in that first wild card spot, followed by Calgary. Um, the West wildcard is very interesting. You have uh, Dallas tied in points with Calgary, but Dallas has played two more games. San Jose is a point back of Calgary, and they've played five more games. Um, then Edmonton is two points back of Calgary, even in games played. And then Vancouver, 44 points and then Winnipeg 43, so it is kind of interesting there. I don't know if much will change in terms of, you know, the bottom teams, but um, one, one hot stretch and maybe one of those teams could get back into it. So, obviously, it's been announced that there are some uh, new kind of additions to um, the All-Star uh, Skills Competition on Friday or this Friday at the um, NHL All-Star Game including some events that may take place um, outside, which is kind of interesting. So definitely um, look. you can look into that. You can tune into that um, on ESPN on Friday, the All-Star Skills, which is always fun to watch. It's always an interesting time. Um, In terms of the All-Star rosters, we'll take a look at that in a second. Um, Just some some headlines here. Uh, Nazem Kadri... Leads the three stars of the week in the NHL. He was the third star. Frederick Anderson, the second. And then Johnny Gaudreau, the third. Uh, Carey Price hoping to return to Montreal to play for the Canadiens soon. Um, Roman Yossi, Evgeny Kuznetsov were added to the All-Star roster. We'll take a look at that in a moment. Um, Nathan McKinnon is expected to miss the All-Star game. And Braden McNabb signing a three-year deal with Vegas. And then you have some games tonight. Florida and Columbus from Ohio. That game is at 7. Vancouver travels to Chicago at 7.30. The Devils travel to Toronto to play the Maple Leafs at 7.30. And then Edmonton and Ottawa face off at 7.30. And then Anaheim visits Detroit at 7.30. So you got five games tonight on the NHL schedule. So I think we'll take a look at the updated um, All-Star rosters As uh, take a look at the Metro, um, Adam Fox will be replaced by Evne- Evgeny Kuznetsov. Uh, Fox was put on the, um, on the injured reserve. Uh, Claude Giroux, Jake Gensel, Jack Hughes, Kuznetsov, Chris Kreider, Alex Ovechkin, Adam Pelik, Zach Wierenski, Frederick Anderson, and Tristan Jari are the mm-hmm. Metropolitan Division. For the Atlantic... But, Patrice Bergeron, Jonathan Huberto, Dylan Larkin, Austin Matthews, Steven Stamkos, Nick Suzuki. Uh, Brady Kachuk is an, injure, or is an injury replacement for Drake Batherson, who is on long-term injured reserve. Um, Rasmus Dahlin, Victor Hedman, Jack Campbell, and Andre Vasilevsky, the rest of the Atlantic. And then in the central, Roman Yossi replacing Nathan McKinnon. You also have Kale McCarr, UC Saros, Cam Talbot, Um, Joe Pavelski, Jordan Kairou, Kirill Kaprizov, uh, Nazem Kadri highlighting the names for the Central. And then in the Pacific, Connor McDavid selected fan captains and players there. Leon Dreisidel, Jordan Everly from the Kraken, um, Adrian Kempe from the Kings, Mark Stone from Vegas, Alex Petrangelo also from Vegas. And then John Gibson from Anaheim, Thatcher Demko from Vancouver, uh, former BC goaltender. So I think that probably is it for the NHL. We'll get you to the NBA. Enjoy the um, NHL All-Star Skills Competition, which is Friday. And then the game, the three-on-three game or tournament or whatever you want to call it, is Saturday afternoon at 3. So we'll take a look at the NBA. The Utah Jazz are fearing a significant injury to um, Joe Ingles, who I think was hurt last night. Uh, Monty Williams will coach Team LeBron at the All-Star Game. Speaking of the, uh, speaking of the All Star Game for the NBA, um, the Kings are out on Ben Simmons. It sounds like um, it seems like Joel Embiid is the current favorite for the MVP, um, and then yeah, so Team LeBron and Team, you know Durant, as both of them were selected as the top vote getters. Um, Durant obviously will not be playing in the All-Star game. I think it's rumored that uh, Jason Tatum may take his place as a starter. And so the coach that will coach Team Durant um, will be the uh, team that leads the Eastern Conference at the All-Star break, but Doc Rivers is ineligible because he coached the All Star Game last season. Um, the All Star Reserves will be announced Thursday on TNT. I wanted to try to find the um, All Star Starters because I know that that was announced. Um, so may take a minute to look that up, but always, always an interesting event, the NBA All Star Game. I mean, I know that people have their opinions in terms of you know the. No defense and things like that, but I think, um, I think you've seen the game be a little bit more competitive in recent years. You know, as they put in the the target score. Um, so here we go. Here are the starters. So they announced ten starters. Um, so LeBron Durant will be the captains. I think Durant will still be uh, the person that chooses his lineup, um, even though he won't be playing. And so. Um, Eastern Conference starters obviously Kevin Durant, uh, Joel Embiid, uh, DeMar DeRozan, Giannis, and Trey Young. Out West, LeBron James, Steph Curry, uh, Jokic from the Nuggets, John Morant, who's had an unbelievable season. He is an All-Star starter, as is Andrew Wiggins. So, as I said, the reserves will be announced on Thursday on TNT. So, we'll do the rest. They'll do that, you know, All-Star draft, which. Honestly, I kind of like, I kind of wish the NHL would um, adopt something similar. So I just realized I forgot to talk about the NBA um, standings, which I think makes sense to look at since we just talked about the Celtics. Um, in the Eastern Conference, the Heat still lead the East by half a game over the Bulls. The Sixers are in third, and then Cleveland, Milwaukee, and the Nets. Uh, round out the top six in the Eastern Conference and then the play in the Hornets are in seventh, Raptors in eighth, Celtics in ninth and the Hawks in tenth. It's wild to think that the Celtics are you know just six and a half games at first place not thinking that they're going to get to first place but it is interesting that they are currently just um, two points back or two games back of Charlotte and four games back of the Brooklyn Nets who have lost four in a row The Sixers have have won four straight, and the Atlanta Hawks, after their win against the Celtics on uh, Friday, they have won seven in a row. In terms of the Western Conference, the uh, Suns lead the West by three and a half games. Memphis, or the Suns are in first, the Warriors in second, Grizzlies third, and then Utah, Denver, and Dallas uh, round out the top six in the West, and then for the play-in, the Clippers, the Timberwolves, the Lakers, and the Trailblazers round out 7 through 10. Um, in terms of some games tonight, obviously you mentioned the Celtics hosting the Heat tonight at 7.30. The Eastern Conference leading Heat. So yeah, another uh, definitely be a big measuring stick game uh, tonight. Uh, New Orleans travels to Cleveland to take on the Cavaliers at 7. Clippers and Pacers from Indianapolis at 7.00. Uh, Grizzlies and Sixers at 7 o'clock. That'll be a decent game. The Kings travel to New York to play the Knicks. That game's at 7.30. Toronto and Atlanta at 7.30 from Atlanta. The Hawks put their seven-game win streak on the line. Uh, Golden State travels to Houston at 8, and then Portland and Oklahoma City also at 8 o'clock. So you got a good, a pretty decent slate of uh, games tonight. So I think that is it for the NBA. We will move on, and we will talk about the uh, championship games in the NFL yesterday. So, again, saw some uh, really outstanding football games, you know, down to the wire. Both teams that won yesterday winning on field goals in the last few moments. Um, so, obviously, a tremendous comeback by the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Um to come back to beat the Chiefs last uh, yesterday afternoon. Obviously a tremendous win for uh, Joe Burrow and the Bengals, who coming into this postseason had not won a playoff game, um, or the franchise had not won a playoff game in 31 years, and they've won three playoff games uh, this January. So it's been a tr- pretty tremendous run for the, for the um, Bengals. But I think, you know, as I kind of thought last week, as much as both of these games were, you know, outstanding games that went down to the wire. These were two games that I think the um, team that was ahead, you know, at at key points in the game kind of gave it away. You know, obviously a lot of people will point to the Chiefs choosing to go for a touchdown at the end of the first half, come away with nothing. You know, I think that for that type of play, I understand what the Chiefs were trying to do. And I think that There was a way that they could have ran it effectively. The throw needs to go into the end zone. And I understand that, you know, at the end of the day, they dump it off to Tyree Kill and you expect him to make a guy miss. But I think if you are going to try to get a playoff and then try a field goal, you need to throw the ball into the end zone. And I just think, you know, that was ended up being a huge mistake because the Chiefs, you know, could have scored again, could have went ahead 24-3 or could have scored a touchdown, went ahead 28-3. You know, that kind of gave the Bengals a chance to, you know, look at that and say, okay, we went into the half down 21 to 10, you know, as opposed to being down. Or actually, I'm sorry, it was not 21 to 3 at the time. It was 21 to 10, you know. And so they go into the locker room feeling great that, okay, we're only down by 11. Um, And I just think, I don't know, it just seemed like that play at the end of the half took the air out of you know, what Mahomes did the rest of the game. And it just kind of seemed to me like it didn't need to be, you know, I think that as much as the Chiefs definitely bungled that situation, it didn't need to be like, you know, oh, it was so bad. And I just think that they just came out in the second half and just didn't look themselves, looked like they really were kind of, you know, tightening up and not doing the things that they normally do. Um, But credit to the Bengals. They played an incredibly good, they had an incredibly good, incredibly, you know, effective defensive game plan in that second half. You know, you noticed a lot of Mahomes getting, trying to get out of the pocket and, you know, trying to make plays and buy time. And, you know, obviously the idea with that is if you're rolling out of the pocket, buying time, you know, the defense, you know, is, is tired. But I think that the Bengals did a great job at covering uh, a lot of those Chiefs players and you know made Mahomes try to look like he was forcing things and that seemed like what happened in that second half and obviously Joe Burrow and that offense you know really had had no issues playing you know in a close game Jamar Chase was excellent had the touchdown catch Um, but it just seemed like the the Chiefs kind of um, tightened up a little bit and that's not that's not how you usually see that team play. You know, that team usually is loose, and they're pretty much like, you know, we're going to score touchdowns, try to beat us. And it just seemed like that that kind of magic w- was gone in the second half, um, and the Bengals took advantage. So I think credit to them, Bengals, for getting to the Super Bowl for the first time uh, since 1989. So I think obviously the big story there was the comeback the Chiefs um, just kind of collapsing in the second half. It was uh, very similar to how the Patriots did, um, you know, collapse in that AFC championship game um, in 2006, which actually was the same uh, margin of victory that, um, or the same deficit that the Bengals came back from last night. So I think um, Bengals defense were definitely one of the stories of that game. I thought they played really well um but I just think you saw the uh, Chiefs kind of kind of crumble under the pressure, and you don't usually see that happen to them. Um, so I think, you know, it's interesting. I think that, you know, Cincinnati has proven that they are a real deal team in the AFC. And I think uh, the AFC, I think, again, is is kind of up for grabs. You know, I think as much as people want to say, oh, you know, Joe Burrow's amazing for Cincinnati, and they're going to be going— and winning these games for years to come, you know, maybe maybe not, but I think um you know, you're going to see a lot of really excellent young quarterbacks um in this AFC for years to come. You know, I think about Mahomes, you think about Josh Allen, think about Burrow, um and Herbert, you know, and even Mac Jones, who I think some people may not put into the same category as those four quarterbacks, but I think just in terms of young quarterback talent you have a lot of talent. You know, you could even talk about Lamar Jackson, too. But I think the AFC, with their quarterbacks, the conference is in really good hands. Um, so I think the NFC game, a very similar type of game. The 49ers, 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, couldn't hang on. Uh, the Rams made some big plays uh, in the passing game. Cooper Cup was um, incredible in this game. The Rams come back, and they win 20-17. to 17. They clinch a spot in the Super Bowl at their home stadium, so they don't need to travel. (laughs) So, man, it's interesting. Two years in a row, you've had a home team uh, or a team make the Super Bowl in their home stadium. So, be curious to see, you know, how the Super Bowl plays out. I don't think we're gonna do much of a Super Bowl preview this week. I think that probably will be next week. Um, But I think just looking at this, these game, this game, uh, it's gonna be really good. It's gonna be really close. I think a lot of you know, good storylines in this in this game. You know, I think that Stafford continues to play unbelievable in the playoffs. I think that, you know, you could definitely say that the uh, Rams made the right decision in, you know, kind of betting the farm all on him. Obviously, they, st- I think, still need to win the Super Bowl, but I think, you know, Stafford's been excellent in these playoffs, and I think it's really shown people that, you know, give him a chance to, make the playoffs with a good, talented team, and I think, you know, you're seeing what what he's been able to do. So, um, obviously, Super Bowl on uh, February 13th in L.A., 6.30. thirty would be a great game. Um, obviously, the NFL Pro Bowl is this weekend um, coming up on Sunday, I believe. Um there must be something here for the rosters. I don't know if people care about that. Um, you know, I don't know what to make of the pro bowl. Honestly, you know, it's, it is what it is. You know, it's, I think that at the end of the day, sure. You want to have, you know, some type of competition, but I just think it's, I don't know. I think the NFL tries to make it more interesting than it really is. Um, but that is this weekend, three o'clock on Sunday. If you want to watch, um, I think there's a skills competition that goes on. Um, Also, I believe that that is Thursday night. If you are interested in that sort of thing, Uh, Mac Jones was named an alternate for the uh, Pro Bowl. So I believe he will be going and participating. So, uh, you know, I think it'll be a good experience, a fun experience for Mac. You know, I don't think it's necessarily an earned experience that, oh, you know, he made the Pro Bowl because he played really well. I thought that, you know, he played solidly, but I think, you know, he's playing in this game because a lot of guys are, are bowing out. So uh, it would be interesting to see, you know, how he does, you know, if he participates in any uh, skills competitions and definitely pay attention to that. In terms of other kind of miscellaneous stuff, I thought it made sense to take a look at the U.S. men's uh, soccer team as the uh, qualifying window took place uh, starting last week, as John and I talked about Um the uh matches that the US had. Obviously US was able to beat El Salvador one to nothing on Thursday night. It was a pretty solid second half performance. Anthony Robinson getting the goal but the US uh just did not get anything done yesterday. Canada beats them two to nothing. Um I think that you could look and say that the US did outplay Canada for most of the game but weren't able to capitalize on their chances, had some great chances Uh, Weston McKinney probably had the best chance on that header at the end of the first half, but Canada wins 2-0, and uh, things are getting a little bit hairy for the U.S. in terms of the qualifying standings, Um, so obviously came into this window in second place. They are still in second place, but thanks to Canada's win, they now have catapulted to a four-point lead over the United States for second place, and Mexico also um, has fla- also won uh, yesterday, so the USA is tied with Mexico currently. The U.S. does have a tiebreaker thanks to gold differential, um, but Panama is now breathing down their necks as well as they are in fourth place with 17 points. Top three teams make the World Cup, and number f- the fourth team gets put into a qualifying or get, gets put into a playoff against a... Um, a, a team from a different uh, part of the world. So I think U.S. really doesn't want to be put into that situation, as I think that's what had happened in 2017. And then they missed the World Cup, obviously. But, you know, a, a big loss for them. And I think they definitely need to get three points against this game, against Honduras, against a team on, I believe that they play on Wednesday, um, against a Honduras side that has not won a game um, only has three points, so I think the US needs to win this game to, you know, continue to give themselves a good chance to, you know, qualify. But then you have issues coming up when the next qualifying window in March when the US has to travel to Mexico and to Costa Rica and then they have to host Panama, a team that is, you know, a lot closer in the standings than the US probably would like. So I think you know it's going to be it's going to be a nail biter absolutely for sure so a uh, tough loss for the US but hopefully they can bounce back on Wednesday night against Honduras that game is at 7:30 in Minas- in Minneapolis i believe so to close out the show today we will take a look at the college basketball top 25 rankings these are fresh rankings uh, that came out just this afternoon Auburn and Gonzaga remain one and two in the in the AP top twenty-five. UCLA, Purdue, and Kentucky have jumped into the top five. UCLA up four spots. Kentucky up seven spots. Um, some other risers this week. Illinois jumped up from 24 to 18. Uh, Texas jumped into the top 25 after their upset win against Tennessee. And then some falling teams: Arizona and Baylor uh, fell out of the top five thanks to their losses. Baylor losing on the road to unranked Alabama, and then Arizona dropping a game to UCLA earlier in the week. Kansas dropping a blowout to Kentucky. They dropped to number ten, and then LSU dropping from nineteen to twenty-five. Um, Alabama, the other the team that received the most, most votes that didn't get into the top 25. So they're uh, pretty close there. So some games coming up. A couple games tonight on the schedule. Ninth-ranked Duke against Notre Dame. And then West Virginia playing against eighth-ranked Baylor. Both of those games in South Bend, Indiana, and at Waco, Texas. And then you got some solid games on Tuesday night. Number one, Auburn plays against Alabama. Tenth-ranked, tenth-ranked Kansas. 20th ranked Iowa State both of those games are on ESPN Kansas Iowa State is the seven o'clock and then Auburn Alabama at nine and then on ESPN two at nine o'clock you have 14th ranked Texas Tech against 23rd ranked Texas um so I think that that probably does it for for this week's show obviously uh keep your keep your eyes peeled for a guest Friday that will be out on Friday I'll be joined by Evan Griesing. We'll be talking Big Poppy, getting into the Hall of Fame. So I'm very much looking forward uh, to that conversation. Um, As always, you can listen to the podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. And you can follow our social media pages on Twitter and on Facebook. So um, hopefully everyone had a good weekend. Hopefully you survived all the snow. Um, And we'll be back with you on Friday.